Ion 2020, episode 333. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. The authority is total. The authority is total. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. In an empire lies, the truth is treason. The truth is treason. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. By the military-industrial complex. I don't know about you, but I am always dealing with these clueless people on the internet and in my daily life, and I was looking to learn how to defend libertarianism, and if you're in that same position, you want to learn how to defend libertarianism, advocate for a free market, and win any political or economic debate, then you need to join Liberty Classroom. That's Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom, and you could do that by going to iontheempire.com slash liberty. If you do that, you'll be able to earn the equivalent of a PhD in libertarian thought and free market economics online for just 24 cents a day. That's amazing. Once again, go to iontheempire.com slash liberty. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Eye on 2020. Appreciate you joining me for another week looking at the 2020 election, 2020 news, things that are going on. Uh, in this crazy world that we are living in. I appreciate those uh, that continue to join me every single Monday and Thursday. Uh, just got back from a really cool event that Tom Woods threw. And uh, if you guys have not listened to the Tom Woods show, you definitely should. I know your time is limited, of course, and uh, you know, especially your listening time. But he definitely puts together a good show. But he had a great event and invited a lot of libertarians out there to uh down to orlando around that area where he lives and it was just really fun to get together with a bunch of like-minded people absolutely amazing if you're listening to the show and you happen to have been there then uh you know it was nice to meet you or if i didn't meet you i I sure wish i would have uh but yeah it was really cool just talking with a lot of people who really understand libertarianism libertarian ideals uh and just a lot of the conversation was about game planning to bring more people over to the libertarian movement as well that's a lot of the conversations of where they went but it was more than that too like just getting to know other people and hearing their stories of how they kind of became a libertarian i think that's really interesting as well uh something i've always thought about doing is just interviewing like regular libertarians and finding out about how they became a libertarian uh or started to move their views towards the libertarian uh political viewpoint I've always thought it was interesting and you hear different stories and everyone seems like seemed because that was like the first thing I asked is how did you become uh, involved in libertarianism and everyone seemed like they had different stories. Some people, you know, they came to it through different podcasts like Peter Schiff's show and I don't know if you ever heard of Peter Schiff, but he does like a money show and he talks about different financial stuff, but there's also He's a, you know, a libertarian who believes in Austrian economics uh, or studies Austrian economics. You don't really just believe Austrian economics. It's an actual real thing, you know. Uh, But there was a few people I met that went went that route. 
Other people came to it from the left. Other people came to it from the right. But it's just an interesting way that different people come to believe the libertarian ideal of limited government and non-aggression. And I just thought it was interesting talking to those people. So uh, if you ever get a chance to go to an event that has a lot of libertarians at it, definitely do it. It was To me, it was really inspiring. It was really uh, fun to get to know different people as well. And we have a movement going. I mean, I said this to somebody last night when I was there. I said, these, like, what we have today in the libertarian movement is huge compared to when I was, in 1999, when I became a libertarian, you couldn't find any information on libertarianism. It was a few and far between. Online, the internet was not necessarily new. It had been, you know, around for six, seven years, or, you know, five, six years or so uh, nationwide. And you could find the information if you really looked hard enough. But if you typed in libertarianism into any of the search engines back then, it came up with Ayn Rand, and that's about it. And you had the, uh, what do they call them? There was a group called the Advocates for Self-Government. So you might become a member of the advocates.org, which those, those are the people that did the world's, lar- or world's smallest political quiz. But that's about all you had back then. And you get a lot of new libertarians. It's most of the people that I met that I meet in the libertarian movement. And especially you know, last night, there was a lot of relatively newer libertarians, people that have been libertarians since 2007, 2008. That's an old school, or that's an OG libertarian by now though. But there's a lot of people that were, you know, a couple of years in the movement, five or six years in the movement. One guy I met was a year in the movement and just started understanding the principles of liberty. And you're at a Tom Woods event, which is a pretty hardcore, uh, not a hardcore libertarian, you know, guy or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, he has appeal to the masses because he's just the most intelligent person, uh, in the movement, in my opinion, but you had a guy that's only been a libertarian for a year, but it just shows how fast you can go from just, oh yeah, I believe in, you know, the virtue of selfishness, which is what Ayn Rand would taught, would have taught, uh, to a, you know, we're a, we're a group that's against aggression and following the non-aggression principle and limited government and, you know, free market economics and things of that nature. Like those are easy to get to now versus when I became a libertarian. So I was just saying there is a lot going on with the movement right now. Yeah. It may seem like we're on a slow crawl to changing people's minds, but we are, there's podcasts out there. There's plenty on the internet. There's YouTube that you can find tons and tons of videos on. Uh, I didn't know this before, but the people, the guy that, and this, the gentleman was there last night from Freedom Fest and him and his wife put on Freedom Fest every year in Las Vegas. And I knew about that, but I did not know that his wife also puts on a, uh, I, I can't remember what it was called, but it's a, it's a movie. It's a libertarian, uh, movie screening thing. Uh, I can't remember what they call them, but anyway, uh, it's an event where people will bring their documentaries and their movies that are libertarian leaning. They'll bring it to that event for people to see and watch and stuff like that. And to me, like we didn't have that back then. She said she started this thing five years ago. We have a lot of ability in this movement to get our message out there. And one person I met there was Eric July. He's the person that, uh, he's a 
he's a uh, rapper and a and he has a heavy metal band as well. And uh, I was talking with him a little bit, but one of the things that he said is that it really comes down to slowly changing the culture. And that's something that I've talked about on this show before as well. And the idea is he is reaching people through his music. There's another guy that I met there that was reaching people through video gaming. There's other people that are moving, you know, reaching people through libertarian podcasts. My goal was to reach people that are looking into the election. And we're slowly changing that culture. And eventually, we will start to build up a stronger movement that grows exponentially. But we're in the early phases of just the communications revolution that we have to be able to do this. And it was just inspiring last night to go there and just spend a lot of time with these people. So um, anyway, if you ever get a chance, go and mingle with other libertarians. You might think they're crazy, whatever. But when you really get to talking to people, you know, it's it really is just interesting, stimulating conversation that you can have with other like-minded people because it really gets down to eventually it gets down to the heart of the matter, which is we all want to spread liberty to other, like the spread the message of liberty. We all have the same ideal of doing that. It's just how do we get there? And the arguments that you see on Facebook and on different social media sites uh, where libertarians are calling out other libertarians, my feeling is most people in their heart of hearts don't like the argument argumentation that's go, or the, all this argument that's going on, most people don't like that. And especially within this movement, and my biggest thing I've always said is, if you want to call yourself a libertarian, I'm not going to say no, that you're not. You do you. Do you. you be the best libertarian you can be. But I mean, life is not all about being a libertarian either. It's about, you know, sports and video games and doing whatever you enjoy doing, going to the beach, spending time with family. Like, I am not consumed 100% of my time with politics and libertarian messaging and all that crap either. And most people seemed to get that when I was there also, you know? People had their hobbies and stuff. People had their different vices that they, you know, do, do as outlets. We just happen to want to get together because we all are inspired by Tom Wood's message. And we all... You know, I mean, this show would not be here unless I was a Tom Woods listener because I really enjoyed his show and I really enjoyed podcasting. And then at that point, I was like, I just want to learn how to podcast. Maybe I'll become a better speaker. Maybe I'll become a better communicator of the message. And then ultimately, maybe I'll, you know, be able to inspire others to do the same thing. And that's what Tom Woods did. That's that's, That's where I'm at now. And, you know, if people wanted to start their own podcast or start doing their own messaging, that would be great as well. But anyway, let me get off that subject. That was just really, really fun. Really fun to meet up with these people. Um, But moving on, last week, I mentioned it briefly on the show on Thursday, but some information came out about uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden with some emails. It was a computer. So this is what happened. I'll talk about it. Uh... The New York Post releases some information that they found on Hunter Biden that was supposedly found in a computer that he had dropped off at a computer repair store and never picked up. And then it was found by Rudy Giuliani, or the owner of the store, ended up going through some of the files and said, and ended up giving it to the Rudy Giuliani, who ended up giving it to the FBI. 
And then somehow the New York Post gets their hands on these emails and the, you know, the hard drive, I guess. And it releases some information that says that uh, Hunter Biden was arranging meetings between his father and people in Ukraine and his father and people in China and his father and people in, with uh, Burisma, I think is the name of the company that Hunter Biden worked for. And that it was a pay-to-play type thing. And then Joe Biden always denied it and said that he had no clue what his son was doing and that he had no involvement in it. But it does show in these emails that Joe Biden would have known about it. Because uh, I guess Hunter Biden actually sent the email directly to his father or something. And then it, then there was a meeting within a couple of weeks of that happening. So that was the big controversy. Where did the actual computer come from? Where do the emails come from? Like, to me, it, the Fox News people and the conservative press is saying there's no proof, there's no evidence that these are not real. And I'm sure MSNBC and CNN are saying on their side, oh yeah, there's no corroborating evidence and all that stuff that it's not real or that it is real and everything else. That these are a hoax or these are Russian propaganda, whatever. But normally with any news story... It gets out there, and it's dissected over time in the press, in the court of public opinion. You, you have it with stuff that's really, like these bombshells released from Trump. You have it from bombshells that were released with, like, um, Barack Obama, President Clinton, everywhere else, right? Yes, it, it paints Joe Biden in a, in a negative light. It paints him as somebody who lied and said that he doesn't know about uh, his son's dealings, but then ends up that he does. And it's very incriminating. So that was the big controversy for like, I think it was Wednesday when they were released. And then they did another drop on Thursday. And what ended up happening is that Facebook and Twitter ended up um, throttling that story. So that they would, like Twitter literally made it so that anyone shared the story, their account was turned off for a little while, that their account was suspended, that they suspended the New York Post's account and everything, took down that particular first post about the, about their, uh, with the link to their story in the New York, in their uh, newspaper. And then that became the big news. It sort of overshadowed things. Now this news is going to be very controversial, it happens all the time. And that's okay. You want controversial news out there. But it doesn't help your guy if you're Joe Biden. If you're a Joe Biden supporter, it doesn't help your guy. So what do the people who who are Joe Biden supporters do? What do they do when Facebook and Twitter start throttling this thing, when they start, you know, uh, censoring this particular article? They start defending Facebook and Twitter, saying, oh, well, if it's fake news, they should be able to do it. And other people say, oh, well, it's Facebook and Twitter, they're private companies, they could do what they want to, and so forth. That's what they end up doing. And we've talked about internet censorship before on this show, and these companies doing that. And that is the biggest news, that is the most dangerous thing that they're doing with this story is that they two or three before an election are going to make it so the story does not get out as easily 
But by doing that, they got the story out, plus some, and made themselves look bad. Like, I said this the other day about Facebook and Twitter. They went down a stupid road. I said this to somebody else, I didn't say on the show. But they went down a, a dumb road when they decided to become the arbiter of truth. And started doing the fact-checking, started trying to throttle or turn off different news stories. When they decided to start doing that, they went down a dangerous road because it starts with Alex Jones. It starts with white or it starts with white nationalists and white supremacists and those groups. And then it goes to Alex Jones and people that are conspiracy theorists. And then it goes to the next level and then the next level. And I said to some people that I'm friends with, I said, if you think that they're not going to do it to your guy next, history is completely on the side of them doing it to your guy next. Because when somebody has power over the flow of information, that is a lot of power to have. It used to be that the newspapers had control over the flow of information. And most new, new new information came from there. But now we have different sorts of media and so forth. But, I mean, in the, in the 1930s, 1940s, how do you think the Nazis rise to power? Because they have control over the flow of information. You start by talking negatively about one group, and then you start, you know, censoring one group and censoring another group and so forth, until the only thing that's right to say is what the government allows you to say. Well, Facebook and Twitter are not the government by any means. But if they become the arbiters of truth, if they become the ones that get to determine the contr- and control the flow of information in the public, that's a bad road to go down. That is something that we need to stand up against. So, how do we do that, though? That, that was the biggest question, because they should not be able to get away with that. I personally feel like, because this is, if I was like the Facebook executive, I've thought about this a little bit. Um, if you are Facebook or Twitter, you should give the person, the individual, more power to censor their own stuff if they want to, but not to censor it for them. For example, I'm a liberal or I'm a conservative or whatever, and I look at specific news stories and so forth, and then I have people posting different things or sharing different things or whatever, and I don't want to see stuff like that. You should just give me the power to turn it off. Yes, it creates more of a bubble for myself. Maybe that's not a good thing, but really we're in a situation where, you know, some group of people in a room get to determine what we see and they're they're then those people hired by Facebook or Twitter get to determine what we see and if that right there are the if, if there's like a group of 10 people or 100 people or a thousand people or just one person that gets to determine what we see that leads to corruption or corruptibility because people are corruptible people are fallible and if they are fallible, then you can, if, as soon as someone knows that you are the person that determines what gets out there, how much money starts being poured in to make sure that your news outlet gets your information out there. Your propaganda machine 
gets your information out there. So then you start paying these people off. You start giving them favors. That's a lot of power that that one or a thousand or couple hundred people or whatever that work for Facebook or Twitter have. And then they could be, they might go into it with the best of intentions. I'm going to find the best news, the most truthful stuff. That's what they might do. But then over time, it becomes a way because power power corrupts. Power leads people to do things that they otherwise might not do. Especially when there's so many people influencing them towards that direction. Because people can be easily swayed. People can be manipulated. Oh yeah, well you know what? Donald Trump's a bad guy, so we do need to cancel this particular article because we can't have him get reelected. Or Joe Biden's a bad guy. And uh, on the other side, I mean, it's the same thing. Because I'll tell you what, just as many Republicans as hate the Democrats, the Democrats hate the Republicans too. So it's going to, whoever can control the information is going to. So Donald Trump, if, you know, if you're someone that supports Donald Trump and you are sitting there trying to get your information out there, you're going to do what you can to do it. So these people have a lot of power. So I would say they just, in my mind, they went down the wrong road of allowing other people to be the censor or the censorer of the information, but rather let the individual have more tools at their disposal to censor their, the information themselves. So if I don't want to see it, I don't see it because I've already determined what I'm willing to see. If I don't want to see any news at all, give me the option to do that. I only want to see sports then, you know? And I'm a really big Gators fan, so let me go ahead and uh, see more stuff about the Florida Gators or something. But I really like SEC football, so let me see more about that. Like, those are things that they can give you the tools to use as an individual rather than having a group of corruptible people. Because with Twitter, it turned out that the guy that made the decision to stop the distribution of that particular Washington or the uh, New York Post article was like a campaign manager for Barack Obama or something. And a Democrat loyalist, you know? So, sure as hell, he's going to make a decision to throttle that thing three weeks before an election. It's interesting, right? So, what I was thinking about is how on earth do we do we change this, right? How do we change this? How are we going to hold Facebook and Twitter accountable? And like the solutions that you're hearing right now are, oh, we need to treat them like a, a public utility where they have to follow rules and we need to regulate them and all that. And we're libertarians, guys. We don't want more regulation on these companies because all those regulations do is solidify their power, their monopoly that they already have. So if we regulate Facebook and Twitter so they can't, you know, censor information based upon the Republicans and the Democrats, well then who ends up getting censored is the libertarians or the third parties of the alternative ideas. Okay, so we say they, they regulate it so they can't do that either. And it's like, but when you start with the regulation, that leads to more corruptibility as well, but it also leads to higher barriers of entry for a competitor to get into the market because they have to 
go overcome these hurdles as well. So it solidifies Facebook and Twitter's place in the, you know, it, it eliminates competition for them down the road. And we don't want that. We always say as libertarians, less government's better, right? So how do we as a group of people overcome that? And I was thinking about it. And I, I would love to see if you guys have any ideas also. And I'd love to start something that gets the ball rolling. So if, you, if you'd like to, just IM me if you can. And say you're on board with it. But the idea that I'm thinking of, and it's not a new idea. It's just, you know, we love freedom of speech. We love, you know, freedom of the press. We love the First Amendment and all that. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to force these companies to follow the first amendment by law, but they are throttling free speech. They are controlling speech in these companies. And the only way that we can change that is to hit them in their pocketbook, in their wallet. When you're scrolling through Facebook, when you're scrolling through Twitter, every third or fourth posting is going to be an advertisement. So you're scrolling, 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 see an advertisement, three cents, screen advertisements, two cents, da, 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 da. You might scroll 10, you know, through 15, 20 posts and they might make 50, 60 cents off you every time you open up your phone or every time you get on there. So they're making money off of you by doing that because that's how you, like, you can't just, that's how they make money off of you. So I was thinking, if there was a way to get a huge movement, I mean, if you could get like Joe Rogan on board, if you could get some of these larger podcasters on board and stuff to talk about this idea and say, let's pick an arbitrary date, let's say January 1st or January 3rd or whatever, and say that's going to be a day that everyone, because everyone's going to delete the apps from their phone. Now, it doesn't have to be for a full day. It's just for like one day. We're going to delete the app from our phone because they know exactly how many people have the app on their phone. And if you had 10 million people delete the app from their phone that day for one day, full 24 hours, they would take notice because that's going to be lost revenue for them for one day. And we said, we want you to change your policy on what you're doing with limiting free speech. And if you had 10, 5, 10, 20 million people that were willing to erase the apps from your phone for a day, boom, we have some kind of say and some kind of power. And if we build that network through, we can sort of democratically in some ways change the policy. It's kind of like if you're pissed at Walmart, you don't go shop at Walmart or whatever. Well, we all shop at Facebook, but if we get a coordinated effort going to erase it, then they can, then they will listen. They will listen. So like I said, I am me if you want to, um, I'd like to sign and brainstorm the idea out there. I think it'd be a really good way to do it without freaking politicians, you know? So anyway, let me know what you think. And, uh, if you go to I am the empire on Facebook, uh, you can go ahead and I am me through that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to listen, but I'm going to start this ball rolling. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to, you know, start thinking about it and start talking with other people about it and see what I can see, what we can come up with. And then, you know, try to start getting some people on board with it as well. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, let me move on to the last subject I want to talk about, uh, the dueling town halls between Donald Trump and president Bi- or, uh, or vice president Biden. 
those were on, I believe it was Wednesday of last week, and they each had their own, ABC did, had Joe Biden on, NBC had Donald Trump on, everyone was enraged that Donald Trump was even getting on NBC at the same time as Joe Biden, people were pissed, but they really went after Donald Trump, like, hard, the person that was doing the town hall, like, she was argumentative with Donald Trump, she was throwing her opinion with Donald Trump, all this stuff, right, and then Joe Biden, it was like a walk in the park, one podcaster I was listening to said it was like he was at the beach with a uh, margarita with a little um, umbrella in it, you know, talking to the guy. And it was uh, no hard questions whatsoever directed towards Joe Biden. Uh, anyway, the point that I wanted to make in talking about this, because you've already heard all the commentary, I'm sure, on it already. Uh, Biden ended up getting about 15 million viewers on average for that hour that he was on. And Trump got 13 million viewers for the hour. So they're saying Joe Biden won because he got more viewers. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, Joe Biden is boring as can be, but he's also one that's going to make gaffes and stuff like that. Uh, Donald Trump, you kind of know what he's going to say. I would beg to say it, guys, that the reason why Joe Biden, his, his, uh, his was watched more is because, uh, let's say the Democrats all watched him, of course. But then you also had a lot of Republicans, I'm sure, watching just to see if he makes any gas. Because that's like the biggest thing about watching these debates is to know if Joe Biden's going to have any gaffes or whatever. Um, and that's it. So I would say that's why that would be the case that he got more. But there is another debate this week as well. Uh, if they end up having it, I'm pretty sure they will. I think it is on. So there will be another debate this week between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Donald Trump... Better do better than the last debate because it really screwed him. And I think he's starting to see better numbers in the polls now simply because of this whole scandal with Hunter Biden. And that's like something that just might have revived uh, Donald Trump's campaign. So now in order for him to catch any more ground, he's going to have to uh, be coherent in his conversations with Joe Biden and not come off so argumentative and come off as a more of a leader and so forth. I don't know that that's going to happen, though. Joe Biden, on the other hand, he has to come off sounding coherent. He has to make fewer gaffes. He has to be able to defend his positions. Uh, and he has to come out with a statement about packing the Supreme Court, because that is hurting him as well. And if he does that, then I th he's going to win the election, in, in my opinion, based upon that. But the last week or so has been hard for Joe Biden, and also he is avoiding the question on the Supreme Court, so I think that's hurt, hurting him a little bit. Even the Orlando Sentinel, I was, I was down in Orlando, so I read some of the Orlando Sentinel, they had an article that said that Joe Biden avoiding that question is bad, bad for him. And uh, he will realize it, his people that are around him will realize it, and he's going to have to come out with a statement that says, yes, I will back the Supreme Court, because clearly he's going to. Clearly he's going to. There's no doubt about it, and uh, most people don't think that's that's right. Most people. That's why he won't answer the question, because most people are against that idea, to delegitimize the, the third branch of government altogether, uh, and make it a completely political, although it is already political, make it even more political. So... Uh, that's interesting. But anyway, guys, I appreciate you joining me. I appreciate those that continue to share the show with your friends. Listenership goes up every single week, and it's awesome to see that. 
So you must be sharing the show with your friends. You must be uh, giving five-star ratings and reviews because people are finding the show. They're liking the show, I guess, and that's great. Um, If you want to, check me out, iontheempire.com. You could also go onto Facebook and on Twitter and follow iontheempire.com. Uh, if you want to go ahead and IM, maybe you can as well through the Facebook page. Uh, but yeah, thanks for showing, sharing the show with your friends. And uh, come on back on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.